The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to the Business Elevation Show. A real pleasure to be talking with you again uh, today. And I just want to say before we speak to my guest today, Dan Rome, about Draw to Win, how to lead, sell and innovate with your mind. Um, I want to say a big thank you to uh, a couple of guests that I've had on recently. Um, we, uh, that was uh, Fiona Dun- Duncan, who um, did a show with me about events and networking, uh, and also Mark Amarigo, who um, the previous week did a show with me around uh, dealing with sort of confusion and chaos. And uh, Mark, uh, both fascinating characters, uh, but Mark I found really very interesting. Uh, he's someone they get sent into. Uh, you know, issues when there's uh, a nuclear problem, a nuclear power plant or a helicopter falls out of the sky. And uh, he, he really talked about his innovative process for uh, dealing with these very difficult scenarios. So I recommend if you're interested in networking, setting up events, check out Fiona Duncan and check out Mark Amerigo on Confusion and Chaos. So over to today's guest, uh, Dan Rome. Um, I'm really excited about talking uh, to Dan today. Uh, having read uh, uh, Dan's book that we're talking about, Draw to Win. I've personally had uh, some value um, for my business uh, already out of uh, that experience. And I really want to ask you the question, or we do, are you really harnessing the power of imagery in your business? Uh, today, about 90% of everything shared online is visual, selfies, uh, smartphone videos, and more. And this explosion of communication through pictures, it's not a millennial-driven fad. It's as natural as those lines that we were first drawn by cavemen, uh, just as Dan says, turbocharged by the latest technology. Now, Dan Rome is the author of the international bestseller, The Back of the Napkin, uh, the most popular visual thinking business book of all time, uh, Fast Company, Business Week, and The Times of London, all named um, The Back of the Napkin, the number one creativity and innovation book of the year. He's the founder and president of Digital Roaming, a management consulting firm that uses visual thinking to solve complex problems for clients like Google and Boeing and Microsoft and the U.S. Navy and the U.S. State Senate. We can keep on going. Uh, Dan and his whiteboard have appeared on CNN, MSNBC, ABC News, Fox News, NPR, and even at the White House. Uh, He lives uh, in a city um, I very much enjoy visiting, San Francisco. So let's talk today about how we can draw to win and get ready to work smarter, communicate more clearly and get better at whatever you do just by picking up a pen. So a big welcome today uh, to my guest, Dan Rome. Wow. Thank you, Chris. Uh, That sounds like a great introduction. I'm thinking, I want to meet that guy. I want to talk to him. Very welcome. Well, (laughs) Sounds interesting. (laughs) We've got the opportunity, Dan. We're going to talk to you for nearly an hour, which uh, I know is going to be a real privilege today. And what do you what do you do as a you know what do you do as a privilege? Maybe just sharing a little bit about 
about your childhood and what that was like and you know where this you know inspiration and love of drawing came from well it's funny chris you know uh, i have two children of my own and spend a lot of time around kids and as 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 a child myself like all the children that i know i liked to draw and that's a pretty common thing i'm imagining for most people who are listening you probably have memories of when you were young and you know kindergarten age and you picked up a crayon and you drew a picture of a house or a son or the dog or whatever it was and and frankly the picture probably didn't look all that beautiful but but you know your parents or other people thought oh that's so lovely well, here's the thing for me. I just never stopped the drawing part. I, I found that uh, drawing was, for me, a really lovely way to try to capture what I was seeing, but I think more importantly, what I was thinking. And I just really liked it. And I'm not a particularly good draftsman. I mean, I, I don't draw particularly well, but I've just kept at it. And, you know, it was interesting because when I went to university, originally, uh, um, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, so I enrolled in the pre-med courses, so all my biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, that kind of thing, and I, I did fine. I mean, I was I was fine as a science student, and I enjoyed it, uh, but it was also fairly competitive, even at the kind of laid-back school in in uh, Northern California where I that I attended, uh, and just as a as a on a kind of a lark, just as a way to decompress a little bit from some of these intense science courses. I thought there at university, I would enroll in a couple of painting classes as well. And I did that and I realized uh, my heart was in that too. And and Chris, let me just explain kind of what I mean. A really interesting ha thing happened. So I'm taking organic chemistry uh, and I don't know how much, you know, your listeners may or may not be familiar with organic chemistry, but everybody's always seen those images of those kind of uh, molecular models that are built out of sticks and balls and different colored atoms that stick together to make proteins and things like that. Well, organic chemistry is the study of how do those molecules fit together. And it's very, very visual. That is, the rules of organic chemistry are essentially, uh, you know, here's you've got an atom and it's only going to attach to these other atoms in a certain number of ways. And, you know, you can build these different structures and it's very visual. And I had built models as a kid and I really loved it. And then, so that was my morning class, organic chemistry, building these sort of molecular models. And then in the afternoon, I go into an introductory painting class where the, the professor is telling us about uh, visual composition that will be pleasing to the human eye if you're going to create a painting. Things about like the golden rectangle and, and uh, compositional elements of threes and all these kind of things. And I thought, wait a minute, this is crazy. In the morning, I was studying the hardest core science you can imagine, and all of it was about visual structure. And now I'm in painting courses and all of it is about visual structure. You couldn't come up with two dis different dif disciplines that would seem more different uh, when you first look at them. And yet, isn't it amazing that at some level, they're basically teaching us the same thing, which is about how to look for and take advantage of visual structures. And I think, Chris, in a way that was kind of an epiphany moment for me, and I thought, wait a minute, if you can apply visual rules, how do we see things? And, and therefore, based on the knowledge that we have of what things look like, how can you modify them or improve them? I thought, well, if that's true of chemicals, and that seems to be true of, of you know, drawings, is that also true of other types of concepts, like the things you might learn in philosophy? Uh, is it possible to try to model out some very complex uh, psychological um, study. And then what would happen if, you know, I, I was in business as well. I, very early, I'd always um, 
worked my way through school and I worked as a graphic designer. And, you know, that was a trade that I knew. And again, it, uh, obviously, it's it's very visual, working with your hands and your eyes to create visually pleasing uh, editorial stories on a, on a page. And I thought, I'm kind of interested in the graphic design, but what I'm really interested in is the business of these publications. And I found that I had a bit of a business bent as well. So I started to get invited into the meetings by the business people and the salespeople and the editorial staff. And I brought in these tools of graphic design into those meetings, meaning I would be the crazy guy that would go up to the whiteboard in the middle of a sales meeting and start drawing a picture of what I thought people were talking about. And the pictures are really simple, Chris. I mean, you can imagine just some circles, maybe some boxes, a couple of triangles and arrows connecting them. And, you know, if I was feeling really fancy about it, I might even draw a little stick figure to say, for example, this represents the editor and this represents the advertiser and this represents the reader or something. And the beauty of it was very complex concepts that when you were sitting around the table talking seemed very difficult to tackle. When you drew them out, became quite obvious. Oh, all we need to do is move this piece over there or increase the number of these things or something. And I guess long story made short, I never stopped doing that. And I that ended up becoming my career. And very happily and very luckily, I'm, I'm someone who's been blessed with the opportunity to travel, live in different countries around the world and cultures not my own. And I found that if you go to the whiteboard or you take out a piece of paper, Forget the language gap. It doesn't matter. If you start drawing out your idea and talking in an animated way and handing the pen back and forth to the people you're with, you collectively are going to figure a lot of things out and understand each other beautifully. And that is the genesis of everything that's gone into my books. Does does that uh, make sense? No, absolutely. And I think what I I took from uh, your book and thinking about it and, and starting to do some drawing was that I actually found it a really helpful way, a really helpful way to, to think, uh, to start thinking visually and to start structuring my thoughts. Uh, so it was it was helpful for me as an individual to start, you know, thinking about my offering and what I did and try and put it in pictures. And it seemed to, yeah, it seemed to crystallize uh, what it was. Um, and then, of course, there's there's the, uh, the opportunity to then, you know, share that with people to help structure their thinking, isn't there? Uh, as a yeah. as a visual, but uh, it was a good sort of you know it was a good thinking process as well as uh, a, you know a process to demonstrate to others a concept. Well, Chris, I would like to run with that for a moment if you don't mind, because often people will say to me, "Oh, Dan, you're teaching business people art," and and you know I'm not an artist, I'm not creative, and I said, "No, no, no. The the drawing that I'm talking about is not an artistic process. It's exactly Chris as you just said." It's a thinking process, and here's the beauty of it to me, and we can talk about some of the neural mechanics and cognitive science that are behind this, but most of us are taught in school, for good or for bad, to generally think in a fairly linear way because verbal communication, our ABCs, our alphabets, our language, the fact that you and I are talking right now, beautiful things, but by definition must be linear. What I mean by that is if I'm going to tell you a story I have to start here at point A, and then I keep talking as we get to point B, and so on to point C and all the way to the end. And that's lovely as a thinking mechanism because it forces you to take any thought and kind of force it into a line, which is great because it makes it easier to break it down. But the trouble is, real life, the problems that are out there in the world are not linear problems. 
Um, and, you know, here in the United States, for example, endlessly for the last multiple decades, and we're going to get back into it again, we debate, you know, the healthcare system. Should it be this? Should it be that? You can't really talk about it because it is a very complex, very nuanced uh, set of layers of things that are interacting. And this is where I love the power of bringing, as you mentioned, the thinking that comes from pictures, bringing that type of thinking into the mix. Because visual thinking, thinking with pictures is a completely different type of thinking than thinking with words. It's not better. It's not worse. It's complementary, but guaranteed. And I have seen this pretty much every single time I've gone through this process, which is now in the thousands of times. For people who we like to think of ourselves as pretty smart, we understand our businesses pretty well, uh, and we're very good at talking about them, and we think we have a pretty good idea of what we're doing. When you then introduce some of these visual tools into the mix and people try it, they suddenly realize, wait a minute, this really is a different way of looking at what I already thought I knew, and different solutions are going to start to appear on the page. Uh, some of which may be garbage, not worth following up at all, but some of them will be breakthroughs. And I often find this, I think, isn't amazing. I've been thinking about a topic X for years, and I sit down and I draw a picture of what I think I was thinking, and in five minutes, I see something new. And why is that so? Because it's a different, it literally is different processing centers in our brain that for most of us in the business world or in organizational world, tend to neglect. And, um, that, you know, I don't want to go on too, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here in a moment, but, but uh, to me, the beauty of opening up and discovering the power of what your visual mind can do is that it gives you an entirely new set of tools for, for exploring some of the same problems that you've already looked at and coming up with solutions that were just invisible uh, when you were just talking about things. So, mm -hmm. so I, I, I think it's powerful. Mm -hmm, definitely. Could you share with us this beautiful example of you doing that uh, around Obamacare? I think people might find that kind of you know interesting <laughs> as to how far you can take this. Sure. So it's it's interesting and it's timely given the fact that we've just had an election and we've we've had a pretty sig significant change here in the states as to really our political direction, et cetera. So this happens, you know, every time there's an election, the the you know the the clock the, the pendulum swings from one side to the other, and so eight years ago. When President Obama came in, uh, you know, he faced a number of challenges right off the bat. The economy was in a terrible place, and so initially focused on 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 you know some various federal governmental programs to try to kick the economy back into gear, et cetera. And then the second thing he did is, and this shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody because he'd been talking about it when he was uh, during the election cycle, was he addressed health care and health care reform. And it's also not a surprise because presidents since <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt have tried to reform the healthcare system in the United States. I mean, it's not just, this is not a new thing. Uh, and anyway, uh, when President Obama started to talk about Obamacare, what's now known as Obamacare, and started to propose these ideas of how you would reform the healthcare system, it really broke the country in half. And I think probably more than any other economic policy issue, at least in those days, six, seven years ago, people really, really got upset as to whether, you know, is healthcare reform the greatest thing that's ever happened? This is going to solve lots and lots of problems. Or, my gosh, is this the end of the nation as we know it? Is this going to completely destroy us? And it really polarized people, and people sat really, it became very extreme on one side or the other. 
And what was interesting to me is I thought, well, this is kind of crazy because in theory, we're all reading from the same law. We're all reading from the same playbook. But if you listen to one news source, you'll hear one story. And if you listen to another one, you'll get a completely different story. And I thought, well, so who's telling the truth here? And, you know, it's, it's pretty subtle. The truth is complicated. So what I thought I would do is go to the actual law itself. And I didn't know this, but a friend of mine said, hey, Dan, if you're interested in trying to understand governmental public policy, did you know that if you go to the congressional website, uh, uscongress.gov, uh, you can actually download every law that is passed and read it in full. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll go, rather than listening to the various news sources, I'll just go download the law. And I did. And it was 1,500 pages of bullet points. Wow. And I thought, this is crazy, because in my mind, having worked at a systems thinking level for many years with many different organizations, like we talked about before, if you're going to reform a system, it guaranteed in my mind, you have to have a pretty good literal picture of that system. What are the pieces that are in play and how do they relate so that you can map out what the system looks like now and then map out what you would like the system to look like after you've reformed it and then see the differences between the two and then figure out the decisions you need to make and the kind of the metaphorical levers you need to pull to, to morph this model into that model. And so I was thinking naively that in something as complicated as healthcare reform, I was looking for some models that say, you know, diagrams or, or, or intersecting circles or mind maps or something that say, conceptually, here's the system today, conceptually, here's the system we'd like to achieve, and therefore we need to move these pieces. But the picture wasn't there. It was, it was 1,500 pages of lists, each one one paragraph long. And I thought, okay, let me, let me try to visualize this. And I am not an expert on the American healthcare system, although having worked in consulting services over the years, I've gotten to know many people who are experts. And I contacted one of my closest friends, a guy I'd worked with for years, who is a management consultant who really does understand the US healthcare system very well. He's been a senior leader at many, many organizations, both on kind of the doctor side of the equation and on the insurance side of the equation. And Dr. Tony really knows his stuff. So I called him up one day and I said, Tony, um, he lives down in Los Angeles. And as you mentioned, I'm here in San Francisco. I called him up a few years ago and I said, Tony, I'm going to print out the healthcare law. I'm coming down to your office and we're going to lock ourselves in your room. And I remembered that his office was full of whiteboards and we're not going to leave until we've drawn out a series of pictures that actually explain what's going on with healthcare reform, Obamacare. And Tony, bless him, said, Dan, bring it on. Sounds like a great challenge. I went down there. It took us three days to do it. Um, and in the end, it took us about 43 pictures to explain it. Now, that sounds like a lot. But Chris, the important thing is each picture is exceedingly simple. They're almost like cartoon diagrams mm -hmm. with a couple of smiley faces or stick figures that are labeled, for example, these are the doctors and these are the insurance companies and they hate each other. Why? Because you draw another little picture. This is me. I'm the person who's paying for my care, but I don't pay my doctor directly. I pay my insurance company. So of course the doctor's up with, upset with the insurance company, et cetera. So you could map this out with a whole series of very simple little drawings. And we did. So Dan, we're going to have to stop you there because we need to go to commercial break. But can we uh, continue that? Straight uh, oh, we'll pick it up. It's a great story. Good. Okay. Thank you. So we're back with everybody again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us.
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi it's chris cooper and we're dan roman dan you were telling us that you you lock yourself away in an office you do 43 simple pictures uh, to help explain obamacare what happened next well, we put them in a PowerPoint and we posted it online, and the response was incredible. We have now, I think it's three and a half million people downloaded this presentation that uh, yeah. Tony I put online, which was incredible. I'd never expected anything like that. But the real remarkable outcome was uh, I was contacted by Fox News here in the U.S., uh, which is obviously, I think most people know, probably more on the conservative side of the political spectrum. And literally, they called me in my office and they said, Dan, you know, based on these pictures, clearly you're one of America's leading thinkers on healthcare reform. You know, would you be willing to come, come on air and draw some of your pictures for our viewers to help explain what the Affordable Care Act is all about? And I said, absolutely. I mean, if you didn't notice, I live in San Francisco, one of America's most liberal cities. So I would love to get on there and, and share my pictures. So uh, Fox flew me out to New York and um, on the Fox Business Channel. It gave me about seven minutes of airtime, which was incredible. And we went through about the first 12 or 15 of those pictures and had a really good conversation because these drawings did surface a lot of issues that were confusing to to many people. Uh, And I thought, that's great. I came back home. And a couple of days later, I got a call from a voice I didn't know saying, you know, is this the Dan Rome who was on Fox News drawing pictures about health care reform? And I said, yes. And they said, this is the White House. Uh, we would. We, this is the White House Office of Communications. We would like to invite you to come in and uh, share with us how you go about drawing pictures like that to explain policy. And I thought, wow. Uh, and so I did. I went to D.C. in Washington and, and uh, ended up going there twice to do some quick lessons with the office, White House Office of Communications and had, you know, a little bit of impact. Um, and I think, Chris, the reason I love the story is, is, you know, number one, I'm not an expert on American healthcare. Number two, I'm simply the guy who drew the pictures that made some of the underlying mechanisms more clear. And that seems to be what most of us are missing. Yeah. And it, it pivots beautifully into business thinking as well. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so 
let's let's talk about um, about you know, the value of drawing quickly. But you, you, there's a great example there how you you know articulated a concept. But one of the things I found fascinating was just how successful you are in the pitch situation by drawing pictures. It seems like a real USP uh, and something that uh, many people you know don't utilize and, and can make a real point of difference. Yeah, well, if you, I just want to venture here into the cognitive science just for a second because there are profound reasons why pictures are your most powerful friend when you are trying to sell something to someone. Uh, and they go right to the heart of how our visual engine works. And what I mean by that is how does our brain actually function? So a couple of data points that are interesting just to tee up this conversation. Uh, about one third of your brain by weight is dedicated to processing vision. It's estimated right around about 33, one third of all of the neurons in your brain are there to help you process vision. More of your brain is dedicated to processing vision than any other thing that your brain does. Amazing when you think about that. More of your brain is dedicated to vision by a vast amount than any other thing that you do. Okay, and data point number two is let's talk about the brain for a moment. So the human brain is actually a pretty small organ sitting there in our head. There's a lot of skull surrounding it. Uh, the human brain typically comes in at about 2% of your total body weight, and yet your brain consumes about 20% of all of your calories at pretty much any time that you're awake. So this relatively small organ is consuming vastly more energy than any other part of your body, and more of that is dedicated to processing vision than anything else that you do. Well, if you put those together, if you want to capture someone's attention, capture their visual mind. And if you do that, I often say, if you lead with the eye, if you, if you figuratively grab someone's eye bones by drawing pictures or giving them something interesting to look at and then changing that image every couple of minutes, you can lead that person's mind as if you have hooks in it as long as you need to. We have such an enormous cognitive investment in pictures in our brain that when you lead with pictures, you can pull the brain with you almost endlessly. And how do you do that? Well, there are chapters in Draw to Win on what are some of the pictures that you might want to draw? Are they complicated? They are not. When you're in a sales setting, there's a very simple set of two pictures that I always recommend to people to draw. And it's kind of what we talked about a moment ago with healthcare. You draw a very simple stick figure picture of the way the world is now, the, the present day the problem. And maybe the problem, if you think about from a sales perspective, some of the simplest sales uh, models that are out there is, um, you know, probably the best-selling books in the world are books on weight loss. Everybody wants to lose weight. Okay, so it's a pretty simple picture to draw. You draw a stick figure that's fatter than it wants to be, and you say, this is us today. And then you draw the after picture. You draw a stick figure of a person who's thinner. And you say, I know how to get you from here to here. Sale is now made. And, and you can do that. That's a very simple example, but you can do that with computer technology. Look, you have a very complicated system right now that has many, many opportunities for uh, information breaches. Okay, I want to move you to a system which is much more seamless, much more locked together, much less likely to have data breaches. Here's how we're going to do it you're sold. Now, people will ask a lot of questions, and they're the right questions because they're looking at your picture, uh, and they're saying, so, so how does this part actually work, et cetera, and that's where you can dive in, and the sale shifts from a kind of a salesy conference into an honest-to-goodness dialogue, 
And the only difference is that you drew something. And what did you draw? You drew a before and an after, a simple picture. Uh, and and it's, it's a miracle what happens. Well, yeah, I can, I can already, you know, see that working with, uh, you know, the systems and the work that I do. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a great tip there. So draw the um, before and the, and the after. Um, and you, you, say, you also say in your book that people, you know, lead with the mind and the eye will follow. Um, is, is that what you've just articulated about the brain? And it's, uh, and it's Certainly. And, and we know this. I mean, if, if you think about, well... If you think about advertisements, and you know it's a real science now going back, and and increasingly as more data is, as more data are collected through the you know the big data world that we're in now, you know Google is tracking everything and and all of this kind of thing. As we learn more about how people actually behave, more of the behavioral economic side of things, not so much the rational economic models, but the kind of the more irrational ways that we really make decisions a vast amount of the decisions that we make are, are obviously based on the things that we see or what we think we're seeing, often in contrary to what we're hearing or maybe what we've been taught. And why is that? Well, again, because vision trumps all else when it comes to cognition. Um, and all I'm saying is, you know, we could say that's a good thing, that's a bad thing, you could mislead people. Well, that's true of all of our thinking tools. I'm just saying, we're really silly when we don't take advantage of the power of the visual mind. Uh, and my books and my teaching is about how to do that, how to take advantage of vision in a repeatable, teachable, programmatic way. Um, and there's a set of tools and frameworks, and, and it really works. Fill up someone's eyes, and you will bring their brain with you. Um, so is it a case of, uh, you know, in a kind of a, say a pitch situation the person who draws the best picture wins is that oh absolutely <laughs> I, I, and i love that phrase it, it's true whoever win, draws the best picture wins and uh there are countless countless examples of that they tend not to be taught in business school because one of the things they don't teach you in business school is how to be visual in fact they don't teach you how to be visual in just about any school uh and that's why there's an enormous market for people who do what i do because we're, we're on to something, and there aren't that many ways that someone can improve it. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I just want to venture out here for a second and, and just talk about education and how we are taught to think, because I, I think this applies. The examples I want to give are actually authors, um, people who are known for being great writers, and two uh, British writers um, of the 20th century who probably have been more successful than just about anybody. If you think about J.K. Rowling, who wrote all the Harry Potter books, uh, and now the ongoing series of, of books and movies that are coming. And if you think about J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote, obviously, The Lord of the Rings and, and on all of his books about the Hobbits. Now, what's interesting is, clearly, these are magnificent writers. I mean, their books collectively have sold more than any other books pretty much ever. Uh, J.K. Rowling is, by books sold, the most successful author in history. Um, so clearly a very talented writer. And, you know, very well educated in kind of the standard British educational system. Great. 
But what very few people know about both those authors, and if you start to do the research, this becomes true of many, many of of our favorite authors, is that they drew wildly. J.K. Rowling drew everything as she was writing her Harry Potter books. It took years for people to know that. It was as if it was some kind of great secret. She drew maps. She drew diagrams of what the characters looked like. She drew images of what the Hogwarts school looked like. She drew everything. And if you just go online and Google J.K. Rowling's drawings now, you're going to see them. Uh, And they're not great drawings. And that's kind of precisely my point. So what I often do, and and there is an example from business, and um, I just want to share it. Mark Benioff, who runs a company here in San Francisco, one of the fastest growing tech companies in the world called Salesforce. Uh, Mm -hmm. They sell cloud-based technology uh, solutions. So Salesforce real goal is you know things that big businesses used to do with mainframe computers and then used to do with PCs uh, with software that you owned now can all be distributed on the cloud with software that effectively you rent and you know that's been Salesforce really big push over the last ten years and they've been wildly successful. The founder of that company is an ex Oracle guy named Mark Benioff and um, it turns out that that Mark is a real visionary obviously. But he draws incessantly as well. And what he draws is he draws these kind of network diagrams. And um, Chris, do I have time to just share you one kind of incredible story of, of a little bit more of that? We've got, about, we've got about six minutes till we go to commercial break. So. Well, well, so here's the story because it comes back, you know, connections back to the UK as well. So you're familiar with the Burberry brand of um, uh, fashion brand, yes? Absolutely, yeah. So the, the sort of famous for trench coats and that very particular Burberry plaid scarf that, you know, very traditional British uh, fashion um, hasn't changed in, you know, 100 years. Well, that became a problem 15 years ago because the whole business started to stagnate. Uh, you can't just make the same trench coats forever and ever in a dynamic, in, you know, fashion environment and expect that you're going to stay on top. So Burberry went and looked for a new uh, uh, visionary to lead it. And they actually ended up hiring an American woman named Angela Arendt, who came out of fashion merchandising in New York. And she was headhunted into London and uh, took over Burberry. And within a matter of about four years, she and the creative director really turned the company around. And they turned Burberry into one of the most fashion-forward, successful fashion groups coming out of the UK. And a lot of it had to do with really active online customer engagement, like really building communities, allowing people to have feedback on what they wanted from fashions, a real kind of a, a excellent case study on the application of digital technology into a traditional business. Well, it was growing so fast uh, technologically that Angela Arendt, the head of the company over there, realized that she needed a new underlying technical platform and was not was not herself a real tech person. So she called buddies back in Silicon Valley and they said and she said, "Who should I meet?" And they said, "Come out here and meet this this wild man Mark Benioff from Salesforce because I think, you know, people, her friend said, "I think he'll hit it off." So the two of them met and they met in a, a hotel down in Half Moon Bay, just south of uh, San Francisco. And they met for what was originally just supposed to be a quick meeting, but Mark Benioff sat down with Angela and on a piece of paper started to draw out a very simple picture, exactly like we're talking about now, with a circle at the middle and said, this is Burberry and this is your brand. And then circles around that saying, here's your customers and here's your online branding and here's what's viral and here's Facebook and here's all the social media. And then kind of around it, he drew a circle, says, you know, technologically, this is what Salesforce could do to power all of these connections that you're trying to build. She was so captivated by the drawing that she took it and, of course, hired Salesforce to build this entire technical platform for Burberry. 
But the punchline of the story is Angela was so captivated by this drawing that Mark had made, she decided to move in the technology world and was was approached by Apple Computer, by Tim Cook, to uh, come work for Apple and actually left Burberry, this is a couple of years ago now, to join Apple uh, and now is the head of the Apple retail stores and is apparently the most highly paid exec at Apple and is theoretically being groomed for the next leadership position at that company. Um, and a lot of it is attributed back to the miracle of seeing this simple drawing drawn by Benioff on a piece of paper, mapping out the incredible capabilities of technology when you can see them. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, 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 incredible. And um, I guess through you know history, there have been lots of uh, lots of examples of uh, of that where yeah, a picture sparks off um, ideas and. Uh, and uh, yeah, people people move in a in a certain direction. I know. I sort of think about when, when I used to be in the corporate world, and I would be was taught to present, and we'd have slides with uh, with bullet points on them and the like. Whereas today, you know, being a speaker, I tend to speak and tell stories, but you know, have images uh, on a screen, and, uh, and there's, there's a huge difference in terms of one being compelling and not the other. Exactly. Um, so. We've got a, we're just going to go to commercial break in a couple of minutes, but I think we should start to talk about, you, you made that suggestion there, you know, around, um, you know, drawing a, uh, you know, a before and an after. I'm interested to know what other tips you could give us to help us get started with, uh, with drawing. Um, well, so, yeah. yeah it's a good well, I, I don't mean to talk over you. I was just going to say that in the minute we have, I could give yeah. the, the most, in my mind, the, the, the single simplest and most powerful uh, rule, if you will, on how to be more visual if, if you think you can't draw or if you'd like to even try this. And it's very simple. Uh, the next time you're trying to think through an idea, either on your own or with someone else, simply draw a circle. Draw a little circle on, on your piece of paper or up on the whiteboard and then give it a name. And, and don't think. Just draw the circle and give it a name. What's the first thing that comes to mind as you start to think about this particular challenge or problem or initiative? What's the first? And it, it could be, this is me this is my business, this is our product, this is today. It really doesn't matter because what you're trying to do is just activate the visual mind. So the first the, the first picture you draw, you don't think. You simply draw a circle and then say, what would I call it? And give it a name and don't edit, just keep going. Then draw another circle and what would that one be called? And then draw another one and what would that one be called? And then step back and say, well, oh, I see something's emerging. And what I have found, Chris, typically is once you get that sort of drawing engine going, the trickiest part is actually getting it to stop. And mm. we can talk about that when we come back. <laughs> yes, yes. That's great. Excellent. Well, um, we're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, we shall talk more about um, getting ourselves started and starting to use uh, drawing to really you know, help harness this uh, power of imagery to help our businesses. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. 
We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading Conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and we're Dan Rome. And uh, Dan, we, before the break, we were starting to talk about uh, circles and you were suggesting we named circles to help us... Uh, start this process of of, of using drawing. Um, so, do you want to continue from where we finished off? Certainly. Well, I I don't know about you, and I don't know about your listeners, but I'll bet for some of them, once you start this process, it actually becomes quite fun because, you know, again, we're tapping into that visual mind, which is it's 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 the part of our thinking engine that really struggles often to find words, but knows what it's trying to achieve visually. So we draw these circles, some are big, some are small. And then the act of labeling them kind of kicks us back over a little bit more into our verbal mind. And then we get this really nice dialogue going on in our own mind uh, between the kind of the linear verbal thinking and the more spatial visual thinking. And it's a really positive complementary conversation that happens because we're not constrained by trying to fit things into sentences. We're not constrained by our fingers typing on the keyboard. We've now opened ourselves up to a little bit more kind of kinesthetic thinking. All of these things are, are, are positive and helpful ways to get our idea moving. And then I hate to say it because we're talking, you know, it's a very serious business, uh, business radio show, but that's when our brain starts to have some fun. And problem solving is, you know, to most people, problem solving sounds like a terrible thing. That's boring. Well, no, problem solving is what our brains were born to do, and they love it. Our brains love it, but they love it when we're doing it in a way that feels intuitive and powerful, and that's where the pictures kind of unleash that because, again, that visual mind of ours is very powerful, and most of the time it's just dormant. And once you light a little fire under it, under your visual mind, and give it some space to play, it'll take off. Um, and and what I've tried to do is say, okay, given that, it, 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 that sounds great, that's exciting, that's inspiring, but is it sustainable? Is this appropriate? I mean, could we actually draw pictures in a very serious board meeting? Wouldn't that be immature or patronizing? Well, it could be, but not if you have a process. And I've this has really been the core of my work over this last couple of decades is to try to kind of qualify, almost quantify what makes a picture successful as a sales picture or a leadership picture or a communications image 
versus what makes a picture unsuccessful? And there's a simple answer, and it's this. Vision is a process. And what I mean by that, when I say vision, I mean the neuromechanical, biological process of our eyes and our brain turning light into meaning. <laughs> Sounds crazy when you say it that way, but that's what vision is. And that's where all those calories are going. Your eyes are open. Photons are coming in, hitting the retina, billions of them, getting converted into electrical signals. Those electrical signals going through some kind of magical dance in your brain and turning into the images that we think we're seeing of the world when our eyes are open. Yeah. How does that work? Well, uh, it, when you understand how that process works, it breaks down and in there's kind of a mechanistic model of, of the various visual pathways, and they have very discrete names, like you have the what pathway and the where pathway and the how pathway. Um, and these are, these are scientifically valid. This is what the visual neuroscientists and cognitive sciences scientists agree on. Yes, this is from a mechanistic way. This is how vision works. Well, I just tap into that and say, well, if one of the visual pathways is trying to identify the objects in front of us, well, if verbally you're trying to describe an object, just draw a picture of it. And another one of our pathways is trying to deduce uh, what is the position of objects relative to each other. Well, that's what we were doing when we were drawing those circles. Are they close or are they far apart? So the the, the sort of the secret uh, framework, the secret sauce here is uh, there is a learnable, repeatable process for basically being able to convert any idea into a simple and compelling picture uh, uh, just by saying if, if the idea is about this type of thinking, then this is the picture you would draw to clarify that, and it works. Does that, that yeah. does that make sense? Absolutely. It's a kind of one thing that's conjuring up for me is uh, as a, a lovely friend of mine who I'm giving a little bit of coaching uh, to at the moment, who's um, who's blind, and she was explaining to me how um, how she you know how she's seizing pictures, and sometimes it's so vivid, vivid that she forgets she can't see. Uh, yeah. So you know, even without that um, in the visual light coming in um or being able to be processed she's you know her brain is still working in that um you know very picture orientated way and, and processing in that way um, chris could we talk about that just for a second because i know it's a little bit off the core topic but it's a fascinating kind of um it's a fascinating line to think through so i am just starting to uh get in contact with and work with some of the organizations here in San Francisco that are focused on helping blind people. And one of the things that I've been told, um, being a person of sight, is that there are many, many, many different types of visual impairment or visual disability or blindness. Uh, there's congenital, there's, there's uh, thousands of different ways that that applies, um, all of which have a different impact on, on people. But one of the things that were, is really interesting is, again, if you think about the capacity, the horsepower in our brain dedicated initially to vision, for people who are born without vision, that horsepower then goes to other senses. I mean, it's still used. The brain right. remains very, very fluid. And it's a fascinating thing because um, I really do want to dive into it more uh, because often here, here's an interesting note. Your visual engine, as we described it, you know, the process a moment ago, is still functioning even when your eyes are closed. And the proof of that is, you know, Chris, have you ever had a dream? You know, you were asleep. And I mean, just ask you, Chris, have you ever had a dream? You know, when you were very regularly, yeah. Regularly. And sometimes you remember them. Well, think about this. Of course, we dream in color because the visual engine in your brain is exactly the same one that is functioning. The only difference between opening your eyes and looking out at the world 
and the world that's being conjured in a dream, which is completely realized. And when you're in that dream, it feels absolutely real and compelling until you wake up. You don't even know you're in a dream. The exact same visual engine is at work. The only difference is where is it getting its source signal? When our eyes are open, the source signal is light. When your eyes are closed, it's coming from your visual memory. And of that incredible visual capacity that we have neurologically in our brain, most of that is visual image storage. And uh, the cognitive scientists are increasingly coming to agree that you're not going to remember everything you've seen in your life, but you will probably remember almost everything you have ever seen in your life. The human brain has enough visual mental storage capacity to uh, remember pretty much everything you've ever seen. Um, and that's what we're trying to key off of. Yeah, yeah. So any, any further, further tips then in terms of how we, we draw? You've talked about, about circles. Uh, what else can be helpful? You know, for example, when we're, we're trying to sell or, or we're trying to train. Okay, so for selling, I really like the before and after picture. Um, uh, when you're trying to train someone, you kind of do the same thing. And there's a little aspect of this in selling, too, is that if you sit opposite someone uh, and you start drawing this picture that explains your idea, and very often, again, it's a before and an after. That's a really nice way to go. It doesn't have to be, but that's a good default picture. Uh, about two-thirds the way, three-quarters of the way through your drawing the picture, you stop and you hand the pen to the person you're trying to sell to. And you've already wound this up. So, so it's not intimidating because at that point, you've already completed most of the drawing. And you say to them, what would you think? Where would you connect these? Or what, what would you mark up on this drawing? And the person will pause for a moment. They'll hesitate. But 99 times out of 100, they will take the pen and they'll say tentatively at first, well, I actually like this area over here. This intrigues me. And then they start circling. And then they start drawing. And when you're training someone, you run with exactly the same process. And in fact, um, I do a lot of training. And it has taken me a long time to realize that people are paying me money as a trainer, not for me to be a genius who stands at the front of the room and pontificates at them all day long. No, what they're actually paying me to do is set up the framework and then have them do it. And so from a visual perspective, it's this. Once you get a little more practiced and you want to start training people, what you do is you don't draw the whole picture. You basically draw the dots that are the structure of the picture, and then you hand the pen to the person and say, you connect the dots. And now they've taken ownership over this idea, and they're invested in it, and they are learning it because they are, again, visually and neuromechanically connecting the dots of the idea. And, you know, good teachers know this. The best education comes when the person does it themselves. So what I'm advocating is start the drawing, get the person's confidence up, and then let them finish it. They will learn the subject and they'll own it. And it's it, it, learning and sales are very, very similar um, in, in, in that same idea. Uh, so I think that's a powerful tool. And then if I could just throw in one more. Do we have another minute? Just, just one yeah, more kind of Sure. So, so obviously, I live here in San Francisco, you know, the top end of Silicon Valley, uh, one of the areas in the world probably most known for innovation, in particular technological innovation, but all kinds of business innovation and financial innovation and healthcare and all that good stuff. So innovation is really the word of, of the day, you know, the, the word of the century out here in, in Silicon Valley. But, and there are lots of courses that are taught on how to innovate. Well, I have a really simple one. 
if you want to use your visual mind to innovate, here's what you do. <laughs> you, you draw another before picture. You, draw, you try to draw a simple schematic diagram of the system or the problem as it exists today or the process that you, you do things today. And then what you do is you turn the picture upside down or you reverse it in a mirror. It sounds silly, but it actually works. And say, when I'm looking at it backwards or in reverse form or upside down, do I see any things in this process that just could be bypassed or made different? So one of the simplest visual ways to innovate is take a diagram of the way the thing is now. How do telephones work now? Uh, take a smart, uh, you know, take a, uh, a a telephone from ten years ago, a little mobile device, you know, with covered with a keyboard, and imagine what's the opposite of this thing. What would happen if I turned it upside down or reversed it? What if I came up with a phone that had no buttons on it? What would that? What would I need to do? Well, I guess I'd need to have a touch screen. And this is actually the genesis of the iPhone, of the smartphone. You know, people, for the most part, don't buy phones with buttons on them anymore. At least 95% of the market doesn't. Um, and the only and, and the real innovation trick there was visual. If this is the status quo, if I reversed it, what is the opposite of this? Draw a picture of that. And again, nine times out of 10, you're going to come up with garbage. But that 10th time, you're going to come up with something. Wait a minute. What, what would that look like? And to me, that's the simplest kind of visual innovation prompt of them all. Just turn it upside down and see what, see what you can do with it. Does color make a difference? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, wow. Uh, we are clearly... Uh, capable of seeing millions and millions and millions of colors. But here's here's where it's tricky. Color is also, because it is so beautiful, it can be very distracting. So when we are doing our simple schematic diagrams to focus on a conceptual idea, I tend to minimize color down to just two. I tend to draw things with a black pen or a gray pencil and then mark them up with red. And the more colors that I start to add in, it may be a little bit more dazzling to the eye, but in this case, since we're trying to get to the idea, it can become a bit distracting. So I actually recommend if you're in a drawing a picture that's meant to communicate a complex idea, go with a couple of colors, but try to limit the palette because the eye, it's like this, Chris, here's the example. If you and I are going to have a really good meal, I don't want to put every single flavor that the human tongue can, can savor in the same meal in an overwhelming way. That wouldn't be interesting. Let's pick a couple of main flavors and amplify those. Excellent, Dan. Um, we've got one minute. Um, what final message would you like to leave us with? Well, if people are interested in a little bit more, um, I have a lot of information that's available online, um, uh, danrome.com. And uh, about five years ago, I created a, a website inspired by the Khan Academy, if people are familiar with that, that teaches, um, I teach visual thinking through a series of videos, and that's a website called napkinacademy.com. And um, if people are interested in a little bit more, obviously my books are out there, but those are two great places you can go. And I just try to share a lot of the information that I have because I, I think it's important to get the power of the visual out into, out into the world. And people take to it very quickly and good things come. That's a great, you know, great, great mission, um, a great purpose. You can make uh, help people make a difference visually through pictures around the world. It's uh, it, you know, hugely beneficial. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Dan. I think uh, this is a really, you know, really valuable subject. And I can't believe in my years of business, I've not really given this more attention 
and thought um, I will do from now on. So a, a huge thank you for joining us today and sharing some of your stories and ideas and thoughts about how to, um, you know, how to, to win um, uh, through drawing. Um, so, yeah, thanks again. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show today. Oh, Chris, it was my pleasure. And thank you for letting me share some of the longer stories. I don't often get a chance to do that. So my pleasure. You're very welcome. So uh, danrome.com, uh, do go and check that out. Do check out Draw to Win uh, and uh, also uh, maybe get a copy of the back of the napkin. Um, on next week's show, it's now sort of Christmas uh, coming up over here. So I'm going to have a uh, do a couple of repeats. So can I have a little holiday. I'm going to repeat um, a couple of favorite shows. Debbie McAndrew, uh, who will be talking about you know, who will I be this year? Um, Debbie is, um, is an actress and, uh, and a playwright over here in the UK. Um, most probably famous for um, being in Coronation Street for many years. Uh, and then I'm going to have a show um, at the uh, beginning, uh, just New Year sort of time, which is uh, the power to get things done around my book. Because I think, you know, getting things done in the new year and thinking about how are you going to do that? What are your key intentions? Uh, will be a great way to start uh, the new year. And then our first show back will be Joy Marsden. She's going to talk about, um, about uh, how to sort of step out and again, another inspiring, um, thoughtful uh, show, I think, to really launch the new year uh, for you and uh, get you into action. Once again, a big thank you to Dan Rome. And uh, for anybody um, listening immediately right now, I want to wish you a very happy Christmas and, uh, and a wonderful uh, new year. Thank you. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.